0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. I need to. I need to, I won't. I don't do this often, but I'll. will do this this morning. Hello, Madden. Papa loves you. I hope you are awake for to hear your first sermon from Papa. And if not, um, that's okay too. But uh, yeah. So thank you to those who um, congratulated us and prayed for us. Uh, all is well with Kara and. Our new grandson, Madden, down in, in the ATL. Pam is down there for a couple of weeks. Uh, my wife uh, left me completely alone because my parents are also gone for three weeks. So it's just me and Manny, our dog, for two weeks. So y'all pray for me that I, that I get through through that. So uh, if you weren't with us last week, we started a series on the names of God. And what we said last week was is that a, a series about the names of God is really a study in the character of God. The, the, this series is designed, it's intended to help us to get to know God better, his character, his nature, who he is, and what he's like. And, and in scriptures, that is often revealed by using different names, uh, again, that we started last week. And one way for us to think about uh, the different names of God, the character of God, is to think about a mountain, a lone mountain in the distance. Uh, that has uh, nothing surrounding it, just a single um, mountain. Depending on where you're at in relationship to the mountain, you will see different things. The mountain will look different if you're standing at the foot of the mountain uh, versus a mile away from the mountain. It'll look different if you're looking at it from the east, uh, from the west, from the north, from the south. the, The mountain will look a little different Depending on the season, is it springtime, is it fall, is it winter? It's the same mountain, no matter where you're standing, but where you're standing will change and give you a different perspective on the mountain. And and, and so again, when we think about studying the names of God, which is connected to the character of God, we're talking about the same God, Yahweh God. But this study gives us a chance to just see him and think about who he is from a variety of perspectives. One of the things that we said last night about our view of God is that if we're being honest, all of us have a skewed view of God. Our view of God has been shaped by a lot of different factors. Some are good and healthy and right. Some are not so good, not healthy, and have kind of given us a skewed view of who God is, what he's like, his nature, his character, right? And so a part of this series is, is really about unskewing our view, right? It's about just unskewing our view. Today, the names that we're going to look at... Um, I hope and I believe that they will speak to all of us and they will help all of us, why? Because these names that we're gonna look at today have, have a huge implication when we are facing problems and difficulties in life. So just to make sure I'm talking to the right folks, anybody got problems, anybody got difficulties? Raise your hand. If you've got both, raise both hands. I see those hands, right? And so again, anybody who is here today, and 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 you find yourself in in a variety of seasons. It might be a season of uncertainty. It could be a season of doubt. You might be in a season of waiting. Uh, Perhaps you are finding yourself in in a season where you just you feel stuck. Maybe you're in a season where you've got some difficult decisions that you're trying to make, and you're just not sure about which way you should go. Uh, and, and maybe as a result of all of those things, you're you're experiencing some fear, maybe some stress, some anxiety continues to 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 kind of n- nip at you. Uh, today, the good news is this: if we learn these names of God and we let them become more than just a a, a mental ascension like I believe this in my head but we let these names get down into the our very core our very being and we really by faith embrace who God reveals himself to be uh, to us today we can leave this morning I believe this and I want this for you we can leave filled with hope f- filled with some encouragement uh, filled with maybe a sense of peace and a sense of, of strength because the truth is that life definitely does seem chaotic and often out of control. The names that we learn today will help us in those moments in life that seem chaotic and out of control. Today, three names we're going to look at. We're going to put all the three names up on the screen together. Uh, the, the, we're going to look at the word El, and then we're going to look at El Elion and El Shaddai. And first is the word El and, and quickly, what I want to do is I want to, I want to get through the word El first so we can get to the other two, because I think the other two, El Elyon and El Shaddai, as we connect to the stories where we first hear about those names, um, they're going to they're gonna encourage us and strengthen us and perhaps challenge us. But first... Um, we're going to talk about the word L. We learned the word Elohim last week, right? And so L is, is a part of that. And so what I'm going to do, I don't do this a lot, but I'm going to read something to you. Uh, a, a short explanation uh, from a great resource called the Bible Project where they very succinctly try to help us to understand what the word L means. So I think we're going to put it up on the screen. If you can't read it, uh, forgive me if I couldn't make it big enough for, for you. Um, but here it is. So here's how they would describe and help us understand the word El. Among ancient Israel's neighbors, people referred to the most powerful god as El, which is actually not a name but an ancient Semitic title god. We talked about that last week. Remember, we said when you say Elohim, El, Elohim, it's it's a it's not a name. It's a title. It's like saying mother or father. It, it, it's it's important. But it's not a specific name. It could refer to, again, in the ancient in the ancient uh, uh, reader's mind, it could refer to many gods. But the chief, but the chief deity of all other gods was simply titled El, meaning the God. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for God is most often Elohim which is used over 2,000 times to refer to the God of Israel and a dozen times in reference to other gods, you can see by the shape of, of the word that Elohim is simply a longer form of the word El. The Israelites also use the short form El, though it's found mainly in the poetry of the Old Testament. Because both of the, word, of the words El and Elohim are translated into English as God, you won't notice the difference unless you read in Hebrew. So basically, here's what you need to, need to understand. When you see God, G O D, capital G O D, most of the time it's L. It's a shortened way of saying Elohim. It's still a title for, and, can, and people would have understood it as the, the, the God of Israel, the Elohim of Elohims, the God that we think about when we think about God. So, um,. Uh, so we, we set that aside, and, and now we want to look at the other two. In, in order for us to understand the other two um, names of God, I invited a friend to join us. Everybody say hi to Mel. Hi. Mel is hanging out at the bottom of the thing. I hope that's not a bad sign. But um, he's my guest, so Ken, uh, make sure you include him in the count because I'm a pastor and we count everybody, even fish. So... Um, Right now, for Mel, life, life, is, life is good. He's happy. He's content. There, there is nothing bad going on in, in his world. All things, everything everything is fine. But, but what Mel doesn't know is that there's something outside of his world that has the ability to really mess up his world. There, there's something more to his world than just his little world. And and as long as everything is, is fine and balanced, he's happy and he's content. But if I brought a cat in and I put a cat on the on the countertop, right? Or if I invited a, a kid up, or if I was mean and I took Mel's world and started shaking it, he would recognize that he ultimately is not in control of his world and would, in his own little fish mind, would begin wondering, what can I do? My world is in chaos. Is there anyone that I can appeal to? Because I don't know what to do because my life, my world, is a mess. Now stick with me because I think... In this silly little simple illustration, there are some things that we can be reminded of this morning. Um, See, when things are good in our life, when things are just happening as they should be, we tend to lose sight of a reality. And that reality is this, that there is someone who is over us, someone who is above us, someone who is bigger than us, who ultimately has all of the control. They are in complete control. We tend to forget that when things are going good for us in life. And when things aren't so good, when a cat begins to claw at us, when a little kid comes to shake us, right? When when the waves start to to crash in over our lives. We get anxious and nervous and afraid. We forget this truth, that there is someone who can provide us with the help that we need when things feel like they're out of control. Again, today, we're gonna see through a couple of different names of God that he is over the things in life, and because he cares about us, he can provide for us, when things do feel out of control. Let's start by looking at the first story. And we said last week that one of the best ways to get to know the names of God is to read a story where that name is revealed rather than just throwing a bunch of Bible verses at you. We're trying to connect uh, the names to a story. So let's get to the first, the first name, El Elion, which means God Most High. And what we want to do is we want to look at the first mention uh, in Genesis chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 14. If you don't have a Bible, the verses uh, in just a minute will be up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, please stop at our Welcome Center and uh, see the team there who will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. So Genesis 14, it's kind of this interesting story that focuses on Abram, again, who would become Abraham, and we're just gonna call him Abraham because I often forget to, to, to use Abram, so we'll probably just call him Abraham. But it's, it's a story that involves Abraham and this kind of mysterious uh, character in scriptures named Melchizedek. Now, the story in Genesis 14, just to give you a little bit of background, takes place after what we could describe as like the first real military battle, the the first skirmish that ever takes place in the scriptures. And and so how this happens is we got to go back a little bit more and remember that Abram had a nephew whose name was Lot. Lot. And, and Abraham, Abraham and, and Lot, their families were together, and their families were growing and flourishing, and things were going good. And they got to the point where uh, the, uh, the the book of Genesis says that they couldn't live together anymore, that that, that, that there was this, this kind of issue between them because of their possessions, because of their flocks. And so Abraham uh, said to Lot, hey, look, let's go ahead and and, and kind of divide up. And and as we're, we're traveling and trying to figure things out in life and God's direction for us, I'm going to give you first dibs. As we stand here on this on this plain and this mountain, you get the choice. Do you want to go this way or do you want to go that way? And if you choose to go this way I'll, with your family and your possessions, I'll go the other way, right? And so Lot chose, and he chose uh, to plant his flag, to put his roots down. And anybody know the city called? City of Sodom, right? So Lot was there, okay? And so, so Abraham goes and he's doing his own thing. And about, you know, again, let's, let's in this story, um, uh, something happens to Lot. Lot's world gets shaken up, right? Lot begins to experience some chaos, some things out of, his, out of control in his life. And it's kind of interesting how it happened. Basically, a bunch of city-states, not empires, not nations, but, but city-states, right? This smaller cities decided that they all wanted their own kings, right? So it'd be like instead of having a mayor of Clarion or commissioners in Clarion, we, we say, look, we want a king in Clarion County. And that was very common, and that was, hap- that was what was happening at the time. And so all of these different cities had their own kings. Well, there began to be some, some problems between the kings that were leading these city-states. And, and one group kind of partnered up with some others, and then the other group kind of partnered up together, and one group invaded the other group that included invading the city of Sodom. And they, they, um, they defeated Sodom along with some other city-states. And, and part of, the, of what happened is they took Lot and his family captive. Took all of his possessions, took his family, and, and now they belong uh, to the winning group. I'm not going to give you the name. You, you can read Genesis 14 to kind of get the names, and you'll know why I didn't read all of the names uh, of all of these city-states and kings. But now, all of a sudden, Lot finds himself as a a prisoner, a a POW, and and he's taken from his city, and and now he's he's a captive. Well, news of this um, gets to Abraham. And that's where we're going to pick up reading in Genesis 14, verse 13. So let's just read through, and I'm going to kind of walk you through this. It says this, Then one who had escaped... This, you know, this siege uh, by these other, other city-states came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. And then listen to what it says. When Abram heard that his kinsman, Lot, had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Again, you know, family does what family does, right? Abram hears that his, his nephew's in trouble, and he leaps into action. Uh, scripture says that he takes 318, not just males, but his trained men, men who he had built into, built in, and they were prepared and ready uh, to engage And they would have gone into battle as severe underdogs. They would have gone into this battle having to take on thousands and thousands of other trained men. Again, a good reminder uh, to us, and this is just kind of bonus, um, when we believe that God has called us to something, wants us to do something, the odds really don't matter. Right? The, the odds don't have to be tilted in our favor for us to move forward if we believe that God is leading us. But that's another sermon for another time. It says in verse 15, and he, Abram, divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, got all their stuff back, and also brought back his kinsman Lot. With his possessions and the women and the people. This was a great victory. Again, the first probably military victory ever that we see in the scriptures. Abram, Abram again going to bat for his family. After this happens, and they bring the their you know their family back and, and their cities are are kind of set free. Um, a couple of the kings make their way to uh, Abram to thank him. They come and they, they want to express their thanks. Salem's uh, king is King Melchizedek. He's going to be the focus. But Sodom's king also comes and thanks uh, Abram as well. But let's pick up in verse 17 uh, and so we, so we get to where we want to get to this morning. It says this. After his return from the defeat of Kidor K- Kidor Leomer, I'm pronouncing that horrifically, I'm sure, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. He was Priest of El Elion. Let me just stop right there. Okay? There is much to be said about Melchizedek that will be left unsaid today. But Melchizedek is an important figure in the Old Testament. Again, he's referred to as a priest. He's referred to as a king. And if we were to take the time to turn over to to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, I believe, chapter six, you'll hear the Hebrew writer talking about how Jesus was, was, uh, was, uh, was that Melchizedek was foreshadowing Christ and that Christ was also a king and a priest. There's a lot of great, great content when you think about Melchizedek, but let's just focus on what he says, what he does. He says to Abram, in verse 19, he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high. Again, by Elion. El Elion. This is the name for God most high. El Elion. And this is the, really the first mention of, of this name, God most high. And, and, and again, let me just tease this out a little bit. Who. Who, who's the highest person that you know? I'm not talking that kind of high, all right? But, but, but I'm talking like rank and authority. Who's the most, in our, in our language, who's the most important person you know? Like like if you pulled out your phone, I'm like, impress me. Whose number do you got, right? Who can you, who can you get on the, the, the other end of a phone call because they're in your contact list? Now, again, some of you might, you know, have, you know, big names that you can call. For me, as I go through my contact list, I don't really, I mean, probably BJ Wren is, is the highest name that I've got in my, in my list, right? And that'll, you know, you know what, his number will get you a cup of coffee, maybe. But, uh, but, but, but we can think about people that we can reach out to that have rank, that they have authority. Right, and and some of us might know people in authority with high rank. Maybe somebody has the ability to get a hold of of, of their of their senator, uh, of their their representative. Maybe some of you might be able to get, get a hold of the governor. Right, I don't think anybody can can top that. Right, N- nobody's picking up the phone, dialing the White House, and getting the president on the other on the other end of the line. And so when when Melchizedek. Refers to Abram and blesses him by God most high, by El Elyon. What is he what is he saying? He's saying that God is the, the highest appeal that you can make. This this God, you, you can't go above God. He is the most high. Abram might know some important people, might have might have been an important person, but he's not the, the highest level right? Who is? God most high, El Elyon. And, and, and again, why is he, El Elyon, God most high? Why does he call him God most high? Well, you see it in the next phrase. Look at what it says. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Possessor of heaven and earth. W- what makes El Elyon, El Elyon? It's because he is possessor of heaven and earth. And this morning, I wanted to encourage us today when we think about El Elyon, because no matter what you're going through in life, no matter who you're dealing with in life, no matter what kind of conflict you're having in life, no matter what it is that's going on in your world, nobody and nothing that you're dealing with possesses heaven and earth they don't think about it everybody that you come in contact with and everything that you come come in contact with is less than is lower than because they're not possessors of heaven and earth they are not the source they might be a resource but they're not the source. God and God alone. Elion is the source alone. What, what does that mean? Well, in your life, in my life, when I think about sources, what is the source of your life? Where, where, do, you, where do you get your life from? I mean, what, what is it that you're, that you're plugged into that you say, this is my life? And if we're being honest, a lot of us won't, won't, won't be able to say that it's El Elyon, that it's God most high, that I look to him as the source of my life. A lot of us, if we're being honest, we would say, it's my job. My job is the source of life for me. Some might look and say, well, it's my spouse, it's my family, it's my kids. That, that's where I draw my life from. And that's unfortunate because if we are a part of God's family, if we are part of God's covenant people, if we have repented of sins and trusted in Jesus, then we have a source in life that is greater than any other resource that we could ever tap into. He's El Elyon. He is God most high. He is above everything. And again, what are the implications of that? Because he is God most high, El Elyon rules over the circumstances of our life. He rules over the circumstances of our life. And because he is God most high, El Elyon can overrule the circumstances of life. He can overrule the circumstances of my life. What what do I mean by that? Well, again, may not be the best way to to illustrate this, but think about our court systems, right? We, We have county courts, we, we have state courts, we have, you know, appeals courts, right? And then we have federal courts, and then, then, then we have the what? The Supreme Court, right? And along the way, if, if you have to go to court and the verdict doesn't go your way, you, you can take it to a higher court until you get to the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court is the highest court that you can appeal to. They have all of the authority to rule on your situation, uh, on, your, on your case. And, and so, again, when we think about El Elyon, think about him in that way, that he, he as El Elyon, El Elyon, sits in the most high position above your circumstances. And when we have issues, when we have problems, we can look to El Elyon as the most high God who has the ability to overrule the circumstances that we find ourselves in life. And again, whether it is uh, something that the doctor has told you, w- we can remember that, that the doctor might tell me something, but the doctor doesn't have final say in my health. He, he doesn't have supreme authority. You might be in, in, in a circumstance relationally and you have friends, or you have people in your ear telling you one thing about what you should do, but But remember, they shouldn't have, and really ultimately, they don't have the final say in your life. In the circumstances of your life, sometimes we think that we are most high, that that I ultimately get to decide what happens in this or that circumstance. You can choose to believe that, but there are circumstances where it really doesn't matter what you say about the circumstance. There is a God above you. You don't have the final say. Again, just like Mel in this tank here, again, things are good, things are great, but he doesn't have the final say. He doesn't determine where he goes. If I want to take him over here, I can take him over here. If I want to shake up his world a little bit, I, see, I'm not going to do that. You're like, don't do it. I know what you want to do, Trent. You're thinking it too, right? Right? For illustration's sake, I can make it a lot of fun. But I'm not going to, because I'm nice like that. But, we have to remember, there is somebody above all of the circumstances in our life who can overrule the circumstances in our life, because he is God most high. Lot was stuck. In this story, Lot was stuck. He was a POW. He, He was captured by an enemy, and what he needed, and he may or, may or may not have even recognized who or what he needed. But what he needed is he needed somebody with more authority to overrule the circumstances that he was in so that he could gain his freedom again. We've all turned on the news or, or looked on the internet and, and have seen... Uh, news stories of, of perhaps somebody falling into a, in, into a pit, right? The, the Chilean miners uh, several years ago, 10, 15 years ago, where they were all caught in a mine. You maybe have read stories or seen stories of little girls or little boys or kiddos who will fall into a pit, right? And, and they're stuck and there's nothing they can do. Or maybe you know a story of, uh, of some kind of uh, natural tragedy, a tornado or earthquake and, and buildings collapse and people uh, are stuck and trapped in the rubble. And if, and if those individuals are in that situation, they have to recognize there's nothing that I can do on my own to get out of this circumstance. I need somebody who's not in the middle of this circumstance, who's outside of it, who's above it, to reach down and help me out of the circumstance that I'm in. That's what El Elyon is. That's what he can do. He is above your circumstances. No matter what kind of financial hole you're stuck in, whether you feel like you're under the rubble of a broken relationship, El Elyon understands your circumstance. And if he chooses to, as El Elyon, God most high, he's able to step in and extract you, remove the rubble to get you out of the circumstance that you're in. Again, we need to remember that's who God Most High is, Elion. He is over, he is sovereign, and he has the power and the authority to control and overrule the circumstances in your life. We need to unskew our view and see him that way. Because as Dr. Tony Evans said, he said this, if all you see is what you see, you do not see all there is to be seen. And I'm afraid that that's where a lot of us are at. Some of us might be there right now. All you see is what you see. It's just, you're, it's just staring at you in the, in the face. Your job situation, your bank account, the, the relationship that you have, the, 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 the physical stuff that you deal with day in and day out. It's all you see. It's just staring at you all the time. But if all you see is all you see, you don't see all there is to be seen. There is a God most high, who can speak into your circumstances and lift you out. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 57, verses one through three. Let's, let's put that up on the screen. and I'm gonna read it to you. And then we'll move on to the next one. Psalm 57. Listen to this prayer. The psalmist says, Be merciful to me, O God, O Elohim, be merciful to me, for in you you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Now listen, I cry out to God Most High or God Hebrew El El Elyon. I cry out to God El Elyon, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. What does the psalmist believe? He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Remember we talked about that last week? His said, his loving, faithful, uh, covenant love. He will send it to us. So again, this morning, as you're thinking about life, And where you're at, how do you need El Elyon? How and where do you need God Most High to step in and to overrule the circumstances that you're in? do Do you believe, like the psalmist, that when we cry out to God Most High, to El Elyon, that he will send the help that we need? Let's move on. There's another word that we're for God that we're going to look at for a minute. And it's the word El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty. God Almighty. El Elyon and El Shaddai are both names that refer to God. El Elyon, we can think of it this way. El Elyon emphasizes his sovereignty and his supreme position. El Elyon emphasizes his sovereignty and his supreme position. But now as we look at El Shaddai, we're going to see that El Shaddai emphasizes his power and his ability to provide and protect. In order for us to do that, we're going to just maybe turn in our Bibles one page over. It might actually be in the same same page. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 17. Again, still following the story of Abraham. I know we we talked about Abraham some uh, during our Genesis series, but we're going to focus on uh, on, on just this, this idea of the name of God in the middle of this. But before we, before we read um, what we want to read in Genesis 17, we got to remind ourselves of the, of the story of Abraham, right? Um, Abraham was called by God to leave his country, to, to go to a land that he didn't know, to just follow by faith God's instructions for his life. And Abraham left. And just set out on this journey of faith. God told him that that God was that he was going to start a nation through him. That his descendants were going to be as numerous as the, the stars of heaven. And as numerous as the, the sand uh, on the seashore. Right. That, that this was going to happen. And God was going to create a nation for himself through Abraham. Abraham had, a, had his wife Sarah. And they started out on this journey. And this journey continued for several years and the promise that God made to, to start a nation through Abraham wasn't happening. Why? Well, because Sarah was not getting pregnant. And you can't have descendants till you get pregnant, until you, till you, till you start having children. And for years, Abraham and Sarah were childless. And again, we don't know all of The details of what year after year they thought, how they felt, but I'm sure that they were discouraged. I'm sure that maybe some doubt crept in. Did I really hear God? Maybe I missed something. But we know the story, if you if you're familiar with it, that at some point in their journey, Abraham and Sarah decided to come up with a plan. They got to the point in their life where they thought that in order for God's plan to be fulfilled, in and through their life, they would have to help God out. They would have to come up with some kind of a man-made solution, a man-made idea, a fleshly thought to nudge God's plan along. How silly is that, right? And so again, if you know the story, Sarah says, hey, why don't you just take my my handmaid, Hagar, and, and Abraham, why don't you just go ahead and sleep with her? And, and see if we can't uh, get, this, get this nation started. And, and Abraham did what his wife wanted and goes in, and, and she has, Hagar has a son, his name's Ishmael, and uh, again, Ishmael was the start of the, uh, a, whole, a, a whole other nation, the Arab nation, and there's been problems, really, from day one, right? But again, it's this moment where you have to pause and say, what was going on? Well, Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting. They they thought that there was something that they needed to do. They needed to, in a sense, take God's place. They needed to step in. God, you're waiting too long. God, we're tired and we're old. And certainly, what you want us to do is to apply our wisdom and our skills in the situation. And so here's what we're going to do. They took matters into their own hands instead of trusting God's promise. And before you get too um, high and mighty with, with Abraham and Sarah, we do the same thing. Instead of trusting God, instead of waiting on his timing, we are often tempted to think, you know what, God, you need my help. I I need to step in. I need to come up with a solution. I need to come up with some kind of an answer. Because apparently, God, you have forgotten. Many of us, and we write this down, many of us take our own lives through detours and delays because we foolishly think that we can help God out that's you know again in the simplest terms i think that's that's what's happening with abraham and sarah they thought that they had to help him out they're old they're tired they're weary looks like god has forgotten them but he didn't he didn't and we can feel like god has forgotten us and so genesis chapter 17 i said all that to read these two verses god in his grace visits abraham after The incident with Hagar and and bearing a son, Ishmael. And listen to what God says to Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Let me just put that through a Trent filter. God graciously shows up to Abraham, sits him down in a chair, looks at him, and says, Listen, I just want you to know I have not changed my mind. I have not forgotten you. I am going to do what I said I'm going to do. But Abraham, I need you to know something. I don't work on your schedule. I I don't follow your plan because I'm El Shaddai. I, I am Lord God Almighty. And the sooner you understand who I am, that I am God Almighty, the sooner I may begin to work out the miracle in your life. Abraham's like, but how? We're so old. My wife, like, she's old. I'm old. What's the deal, God? Like, God says, you've got to know my name. You need to know who I am. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. And what does that mean? It means that I can do things that you can't imagine in ways that you won't believe. I can do things that you can't imagine in ways that you won't believe. I am more than capable to provide what I have promised. I am more than able for the task. I am sufficient for the job that I've obligated myself to, the job of starting a nation through you. Don't don't forget, Abraham, I have made a promise and I'm a promise keeping God. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Now, here's where we're going to nerd out just for a second. The word Shaddai, the, the prefix for Shaddai, is the word shad. All the adults are in the room? All right. The word shad in Hebrew is the word for breast. All right, it's the word for breast. And you see the word shod show up a, uh, some other places in the scripture. And I won't take time to, to, to go there. You can write them down on your own. Isaiah 60, verse 15, and Isaiah 66, verse 11. There, Isaiah talks about and uses the word shod in, con, in, in connection with a woman feeding her child, again, from, from, her, from her breast. And so the word shod, when you think about it, has to do with the fact that a mother, biologically speaking, supplies for her child what the child needs. Right? They're able to provide this ongoing nourishment to the child because of shod because of their breasts. And again, maybe when, and I don't know this, but I just thought about this way too late in the night last night, Um, so forgive me. Um, But maybe when Abraham heard that, that God is El Shaddai, maybe that stung a little bit. And maybe he thought, nice choice of words, God, because my wife can't supply what her child needs because she hasn't had a child. Thanks. Maybe, 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 if some, maybe, maybe not. That's just, that's just me thinking. Um, but we know this, that Sarah hasn't been able to supply for a baby because she has no baby. She has no baby. And God, as El Shaddai says, don't worry about it. I'm El Shaddai. I can provide. I can give you what you need and I can give you what you promise or what I promise to you. And while you're waiting, I can continue to nourish you. You see, that's the other part of this illustration is El Elyon exists above. He's sovereign over this fish. He can control what's going on, and he can overrule the circumstances of, of our lives. As El Shaddai, he, he, because he is, he's God Almighty, he can protect us, and he can provide for us, which he does because he loves us. He's able to nourish us in the waiting seasons of life. He's able to nourish us in those moments where, where maybe, again, we, we feel like he's distant, like he's forgotten us. God says, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. I will give you what you need. See, El Shaddai speaks not just to God's ability to keep his promise, but his desire to nourish you as we wait. So again, questions I want to ask is this, what are you taking into your own hands instead of trusting El Shaddai? We all do it. What are you taking into your, your own hands? How are, you, how are you trying to help God out? In, in what ways are you not trusting him to provide for you, to, to nourish you while you wait for him to act on his promise in your life? whatever that promise might be. I want us to look at one more passage and then we're gonna be done. Turn back into the Psalms. Psalm 91. This is a great Psalm. And it's a great Psalm for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because we see his name showing up in different ways. Psalm 91, I'm gonna read the first six verses. <clears throat> the psalmist writes, He who dwells in the shelter of El Elyon will abide in the shadow of El Shaddai. I will say to Yahweh, remember last week, my refuge and fortress, my Elohim in whom I trust. The psalmist knows the names of God. He uses four different names right there in those first two verses. And then he says, for he, this God, will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. If we had time to continue reading, you you would see the the psalmist's belief the, their, their conviction in this God, that because, because of him, there's really no reason to fear. There's no reason for stress. There's no reason for anxiety. And I do want to jump down and read one more verse. Actually, verse 14. Verse 14, 15, and 16. Actually, I want to read this. Verses 1 through, 1 through 13, it's the psalmist speaking about God, but in verse 14, of Psalm 91, God responds. And listen to what God says in verse 14. He says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Why? Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God says, I I, I did something, I'm doing something, and and I'm doing something because I am who I am, but I'm also responding to the fact that he knows my name. Knowing God's name is a powerful thing. Knowing who he is. Watching him move on our behalf. But there's something in order for us to experience El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, Yahweh, if we, we want to experience him in our life, there is something that we have to do. And I see it in Psalm 91, the first phrase, when the psalmist says, he who dwells. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. I think uh, a way for us to maybe understand that is simply to say, he who hangs out in the shadow of the Most High. He, he, he who intentionally puts himself in a place, acting as though El Elyon, El Shaddai, Yahweh, Elohim, as though he tells the truth. I'm going to dwell. I'm going to move close to him. I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to get near to him. I'm going to move in his direction. I'm gonna dwell. I'm gonna hang out with him. I I, I don't know. How, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but I tried to trying to put El Elyon and El Shaddai together. Was thinking about um, motion sensor lights motion sensor lights, you go into a house, some of your houses, you walk into a room and the lights turn on automatically, you go into certain businesses and lights turn on automatically. Well, there's a couple of things that that have to happen in order for that to work, right? Number one, those lights in that room have to be connected to an outside source. They've got to be connected to something bigger than just that room and that space. They've got to be connected to the power grid. there's, There's El Elyon, that higher source, But then there has to be a connection to a bulb. There has to be a connection to something that does provide the light, right? There's El Shaddai. It provides, it protects. it, it, It lights up the darkness, right? But in a motion sensor room, in order to take advantage of, in order to experience the light, what do you have to do? You have to move. You have to do something. If you just sit and don't do anything, eventually the light's going to turn off. The potential for light is there. It's still connected to a greater source. The light still works. But when we refuse to move, when we refuse to lean in to El- Elion, when we refuse to, to trust and act in a way that, that, that demonstrates that we believe, that El Shaddai does protect, that he does provide, that he will nourish us. If we're just kind of like doing nothing, then is it any wonder why we feel like we're just living in the dark all the time? Like the thought of, of a creator God, a most high God, El Shaddai, El Elyon, however we want to describe him, seems like, like that's just out there. And again, it might be that in order for you to experience all of who God is and who he's revealed himself to be, we just gotta move a little bit so that what's available to us actually begins to happen, begins to move on our behalf. God begins to move on our behalf. Again, as El Elyon, he sits above us, he, he can overrule the circumstances of life. As El Shaddai, he is God Almighty. He cares about us. And he wants to. And somebody like you're feeding him too much. I'm just illustration, all right? He provides for us. He nurtures us. This is who he is. He cares about us. We have to trust him. So, as the worship team comes, here's my encouragement to you. <clears throat> During times of uncertainty and doubt, which we all have, remember that God is El Elyon, the Most High God, who is sovereign over all things. We can trust His supremacy, the fact that He is Most High, and we can rest in the knowledge that He is in control. When you face difficult decisions, remember that God is El Elyon and seek his guidance and wisdom. God, you see things from a different place than, than I do. And when we do that, we can trust that he knows what is best for us and he will direct our paths as we seek him. In times and seasons of fear and anxiety, remember that God is El Shaddai. He's the God who can provide and who will protect. We can trust in his power to guard us, to keep us from harm, and provide for our needs. In times of thanksgiving, which is what we want to live in, right? Remember that God is El Shaddai, the God who provides. We we can offer thanksgiving and praise for his provision and care. Remember when we sing, remember when we, when we give thanks that he is El Shaddai, protection, protector, provider. During times of worship, which is what we're gonna do now, remember both of his names and honor him, honor him for his supremacy, for his sovereignty, for his power for his provision, we can and ought to worship and adore him as we think about his name. And that's what I want us to do now. As the worship team sings, I'm going to invite us again as a body of believers to worship him in response to his name. And that might look different. For some, you might kneel and pray. Others might raise your hands and sing. Some might need to come and kneel and confess that that you've not been trusting him as El Shaddai, that that you've not seen him as El Elyon. You might need to tap a friend and say, hey, will you pray with me? I want to begin to see him more clearly so that I can, can live in a way that truly does honor his name. However God is calling you to respond, we want to do that right now. And if you're here today and you've not yet made a decision to begin to follow Jesus, he, remember, is the fulfillment of all the names of God. He is most high. That, that's why when, when faced with, uh, when, when Jesus cast out the demons, the demons had to ask him for permission to take up residence and a bunch of pigs. Why? Because he's the most high. He has the authority to say yes or no. Right? when the, the, the 5,000 were fed and all they had was five loaves and two fish, it was Jesus, remember, who provided the provision, who gave those folks that day what they needed. But we see in Jesus the fulfillment of what we're studying as a result of the when it comes to the names of God. And if you're not following Jesus today, I, I, I implore you, I beg you, let's have a conversation and, and help you get started on, on following him. But let's worship Jesus and respond to him now. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Help us to move uh, our hearts more in line with you. We love you, El Elyon. We love you, El Shaddai. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all your names, we pray. Amen.